Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Now our scripture lesson is found in John chapter 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. I'll give you a moment if you're looking for it in your Bible. And then I will read in your hearing. John 17, verse 3. And I'm reading, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading and hearing of his word, and especially to those who walk in that word. Amen. The title of the sermon of today it's a word that I don't know if you know or not, or know the meaning that I want oh, yeah. to ascribe is the word catfish. Uh, yes, but before I know we that. go there, I want to just to tell you like some of the background of that sermon. Jesus, he faced a very difficult situation. And his difficult situation was that he came to present himself as the Messiah of Israel. But the expectations from the leaders, and because of them, the expectations of most of the first century Jews was of a, 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 of a different type of Messiah. What the Messiah mm. would be, uh, what the Messiah would do, what the Messiah was going to look like, was totally contrary to the kind of Messiah that Jesus was going to be. And the kinds of things he would say and the kinds of things he would do would be different from the expectations of those leaders and most people on his time. So we had those first century expectations of a Messiah that would be like a militaristic guy or like strong, like a nationalistic, a patriotic figure that mm -hmm. uh, among other things, would economically and politically exalt Israel over and above all the other nations, particularly right. the oppressing nations like the Romans. And mm -hmm. they were waiting for a nationalistic and even militaristic leader that would make Israel great again. That was uh, what he was uh, thinking about. Uh, the people around his time were thinking about. And uh, what Jesus came to do was so radically different from what they expected that uh, he had to try to demonstrate what he was all about by his life, uh, by highlighting the true things that the people of Israel already knew about the Messiah but he would have to disabuse them, disabuse their minds from their misconceptions, all the junk that they learn from their leaders. He walked a very thin line, a very fine line, linguistically, socially, and even theologically, because he had uh, to not adopt the popular language of the Pharisees or Sadducees or Essenes or the Zealots or any other religion group religious group of his day. He had to be very careful 
not, not to be confused with one of them. He had to create a new language, a new vernacular, a new way of doing things. Although he never said anything new per se, like because most of the things uh, that he said, like 99% what he said, you can find on the Old Testament by Moses or any one of the prophets, but he restored the meaning that mm -hmm. those words that old, old ancient saying had. Instead of the meaning of the, of that the scribes wanted to, to give, want to ascribe, he was giving the Bible's true meaning. So, uh, that's why he quite often, uh, we read on the Gospels, after Jesus spoke, after Jesus preached, people say like, I never heard anybody speaking like this, like him. And uh, they saw the big difference between what he was saying, or at least the way he was saying, and the way the other people were saying, even though he was talking about the same things. The default idea on Jesus' day of what the kingdom of God would be was like, kind of Roman, Rome in steroids. The Roman Empire, Rome was the most powerful kingdom on their world. Uh, so like for them to be powerful would be to be like the Romans. So if Rome was powerful, the kingdom of God would have to be even more powerful. If Rome was That's exquisite, expensive, grand, the kingdom of God will have to be many, many more times so. So the religions, uh, the religious leaders of the time would uh, mm. explain and expound the kingdom of God. In, not in the terms the Bible would say it. it would say, they would explain it in the ways they came up with their own minds using Rome as the reference point, not what the Bible says. So, in their mind, they, they create a super legend, a super-sized human kingdom that they call the kingdom of God. And on the top of the kingdom, <laughs> instead of the divine human messiah, they mm -hmm. just put a mighty warrior, a leader that would bring people, uh, all the nations of, would subdue all the nations of earth by force. And uh, that's why they got so disappointed with Jesus preaching. Because what Jesus preached and the way Jesus lived was diametrically opposed to what they expected. Mm -hmm. But my question today is like, how did they get so wrong? Like they had the whole Bible. They have at least the whole Old Testament. And, uh, and even they have some advantages because they knew how to read it in their original. They spoke the original language. Especially the leaders spoke it very well. They had big portions of it memorized by head. I don't know if you mm -hmm. guys know, but like a, a Pharisee, 
he would have the five books of Moses memorized be before he was 13. And he would have uh, great portions of the Old Testament memorized before adulthood, before he would be uh, admitted in one of the rabbinic schools. And some of the luminaries of the time, even the very famous uh, rabbi Gamaliel, that was the teacher mm -hmm. of Paul, he is said to have the whole uh, Old Testament memorized both in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And that's not very far-fetched. I, do, I don't know few people, even modern days, that uh, yeah. uh, know, know that. Like, I have a, a friend. He lived nearby where I did my seminary studies in Brazil. We called him a Jack Bible, or in Portuguese, Chico Biblia. Because yeah. he not only knew the whole Bible, both Old and New Testament, by heart, in several versions in Portuguese, in several versions in English, and you could say, and even portions in the original Hebrew and Greek. Wow. I would say to him a verse, and he would say exactly where it, it came from. He was wow. an amazing guy. Uh, so, and uh, he was two, two times like a World Bible Champion when they still had that uh, the World Bible Championship in the 60s. He's probably on his 70s today. Uh, but anyway, fasting for 2,000 years from the time of Jesus, how is the situation today? As we look to Christian nowadays, people still getting things wrong. Uh, but don't think I'm talking about our brothers and sisters from other denominations. They take, they take things wrong too, but we also do. Like, uh, I'm talking about us, even in, in our own churches. People create expectations and scenarios of what things are going to be, how it is to have a relationship with Jesus based on their own minds and their own biases. And not in what the Lord already revealed through the scripture. How, do, how did we get there? here like how do did we get in where we are today uh so like uh how are we gonna get how are we gonna avoid to get confused in the same way the first century people did we're gonna go through scripture to see that but before we go there Let's bow our heads and let's pray once more for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study today. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be here today. Although we cannot meet face to face through technology, we can talk with one another, we can communicate, we can bless each other, we can pray for one another. But above all, we can study your word. We live on the last days. And uh, you said yourself that as happened in your first coming, before the second coming would be no different. People would be fooled by all sorts of uh, uh, things. 
help us not to be fooled. Help us to uh, study scripture today. Take us by the hand. Wash us clean with the blood of the Lamb. Is there anything that's making separation between us and you? Help us to uh, bridge that gap. Wash our sins away with your blood. Cover us with your garments of righteousness. Anoint our ears and hearts so we can hear your spirit talking with us. And uh, we can take what we are hearing to heart. Anoint my tongue and help me to guide uh, that study today. Uh, not by my own ideas, but guided by your spirit. Be our teacher. Be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Already. So, uh, as I mentioned, the title of the sermon today is Catfish. And uh, do you know what catfish means? If you know, unmute yourself and say something. I want to hear. Yes. Uh it's uh, when people misrepresent themselves online in an attempt to have a relationship with somebody long distance. Exactly. And uh, do you know how that name catfish came about? Because catfish is a fish. But how it came to signify that? No, I'm going to tell you the story. All right. Uh, the story is actually happened here in Michigan, in the UP. And uh, the story begins with Nev Schumann. He lived in New York with his brother Ariel. And then he received a, a contact through Facebook from an eight-year-old child prodigy artist from a rural city here in uh, Michigan called Ishpemining. I guess I'm butchering the name is Spemining. If you know the right pronunciation, please correct me. Uh, it's uh, on the UP and uh, she asked to the permission to paint his picture he gave and then we received a beautiful picture uh, and through that they started a Facebook relationship within a few weeks that relationship expanded he started to include not only uh, Abby, that was that year, eight year old. It included uh, Abby's family, his her mother Angela Wiseman, her husband Vince, and Abby's attractive house sister Megan, Megan, who lived in Gladstone, Michigan. And they all start to talk with each other, and all of a sudden, a relationship starts to grow between Megan and uh nev uh with time uh his friends started like actually almost early on to see some red flags uh, on their relationship and uh they corresponded every day gifts were exchanged she was a musician a model but like she never would, she seldom would show her face in camera. She, like, uh, what, 
there are some things that arose suspicion from some of his friends. And then they urged him, like, let's go there. Let's do a surprise visit. And one day, they jumped on a car and they went out the way to the UP. And when they drove on the driveway, they knocked on the door and Angela herself, the mother, answered the door. And uh, didn't take long to uh, realize that was our ruse. Like, uh, she didn't have a prodigy, uh, eight-year-old eight year old painter, daughter. She didn't have a model uh, as a daughter. She had two older smaller kids that had some sickness and needed uh, extra care. But that was about it. The only thing that was true in the whole situation was the paintings. They were painted by Angela, not by their fictitious daughter. And uh, later on the conversation, uh, they uh, were talking with Angela's husband. And he admitted that he encouraged Angela to be in a relationship with uh, with this guy, Nev. So he could milk him a little bit. And in the context of that conversation, he mentioned that like uh, when a fisherman on Alaska, they fish codfish and they bring to Japan. And uh, to keep the fish alive on those huge fish tanks, they put some catfish on to nibble the the cod so the cod could uh, keep moving and have a uh, reason to live to live and to be healthy and alive until they so they can survive that long uh, travel to Japan and uh, once they come back from that trip they made they made a documentary and the name of that documentary was based on that comment, was called Catfish, that popularized. And because of that, uh, Catfish became a synonym of what, uh, of being uh, uh, of being like uh, deceived. If you look on, on a dictionary today, you won't find that one of the, the meanings of catfish, according to the uh, dictionary that I consulted, that was dictionary.com, it says like, first, first meaning is, of course, is the fish. There's two other meanings, two other types of fish that can be called catfish. The fourth meaning is like, it's a slang and can be used as a noun, as a person who assumes a false identity or a personality on the internet especially on social media websites, as to deceive, to manipulate, and to swindle. And it can be also used as a verb, that's the fifth meaning, to deceive, to swindle, by assuming a false identity or personality online. So, why I'm telling that story to you? Our reading of scripture today was John 17, verse 3. Let's read it again. 
and this is the eternal life, that they may know you, talking about Jesus, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you have sent. So, what eternal life means, really? How we can obtain a eternal life? We have to know Jesus. We have to have a living relationship with him. A living relationship with God. And that's a very popular verse. You probably knew that already. No news here. But Satan knows it too. And do, do you think Satan wants to give you eternal life? Wants, wants you to have eternal life? Absolutely no. He does not want you to be saved. He does not want you to be in a personal relationship with God. So what he do? He distracts us. He misrepresent God in his love. He makes God look as a, a tyrant. He makes God look as ugly as the devil himself, as he himself is. But he's most ingenious, his most devious, his most diabolical plan to disqualify you from having eternal life is to catfish you. He makes you think that you have a relationship with Jesus. When in reality, it's not Jesus at all. It's a catfish. Satan is a con artist. And his only business is the business of con you, of catfish you. And not only you, me and everybody else that allows it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why people in the first century got so wrong. They read the Bible, they did everything, but they allowed themselves to be catfished. I invite you to read 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and 4. In, the, in my Bible, it reads, By I fear, least somehow, as the serpent, Deceive Eve by your craftness, so your minds be, be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So you see, Paul had a fear that by deception, we would get corrupted, our minds would get away from the real Christ to a counterfeit. If you keep reading, he says in verse 4, For if he who comes preach another Jesus, not the real one, not the true one that's on scripture, but another Jesus, a catfish one, who I have not preached, said Paul. And if you receive a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, another spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel that you did not accept, you may put up with it. There's so many counterfeits, so many catfish, that I could even make a series about all the different catfish and what's the biblical way to get uh, over it. Uh, but like, uh, there's a catfish gospel, there's a catfish Jesus, there's a catfish spirit. We have like a whole slew of manifestations of God's spirit that's really catfish. And, uh, but you may think, uh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm from 
I'm a true Christian. I read my Bible. And uh, like, don't fool yourself. Paul is, Paul is saying here on the very end of, of uh, uh, verse 4 that he's writing because uh, we would very well put up with it. He's not talking to people that know the truth. He's talking to people that he himself discipled. He told them everything, but he's saying like, you might as well put up with it. You, If you don't take care of yourself, you're going to swallow this catfish. And a few verses later, in verse 13, he completes, for such false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in apostles of Christ. Verse 14, and no wonder, for Satan himself, transforming himself in the angel of life. Therefore, uh, it's no greater thing if his ministers also transform themselves in ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their own works. I ask you again, can that happen with us? Yes. Uh, let's open Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Uh, like that's a very interesting passage. Let's see. Let's confirm. Like, can can that happen with us? Can that deception happen with us? Let's read Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," Jesus, Jesus, they know their right names. They know the code words. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he who, do, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Knowing those God words, knowing those things are not enough. He continues, many, not few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in the name of Jesus, have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders, miracles in your name? And then Jesus says, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Catfishing is the most diabolical deception of our enemy to disqualify people to eternal life. He makes people think they have a personal relationship with God, with Christ, but in reality, they have not. They have a relationship with a very well-disguised catfish Jesus. On the text we just read, uh, the, the people who says to Je the people that Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, are not the unchurch, are not the heathens, are church-going people, are Christians, like you and me. And you can see by their dismay that they honestly thought they had a real relation with relationship with God. They had the real 
Holy Spirit. They had the real gospel. They said, like, I, we even made miracles on your name. They even made miracles in his name. Uh, they got catfished. They had a catfish gospel. They had a catfish relationship with Jesus. So, my question to you today is how can we avoid to be in a catfish relationship with a catfish Jesus? How can we avoid wake up one morning and discover that we are on the wrong side of the New Jerusalem? And uh, on his second largest sermon, the first largest sermon is uh, the Sermon of the Mountain, starting in Matthew 5. The second largest sermon is Matthew 25. So let's see what Jesus says here. I'm going to start by reading verse 3. Uh, verse 3 says, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples uh, came to him privately saying, Tell us when will those things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of age? So, like, uh, God, they are asking, tell us the signs of the times. Tell us the, the what's going to happen before you, you come. We know very well those signs of the times. Uh, we know that there will be wars and rumors of wars. That's what he says on the sermon. He, we know that we'll be pestilence. And we all remember COVID-19 and even other things that uh, may happen uh, sooner. But uh, there's other things too. But what's the first thing Jesus says as he starts to answer their, their questions? Let's look to verse 4. Verse 4 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Do, do you want to know what's the hallmark of those last days? Is deception. According to Jesus, deception will be rampant on those last days. And deception inside and outside of Christianity. Do you doubt it? Let's keep reading. Let's read verse 5 now. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. I am the Christ. And I will deceive many. And uh, if verse 4 and 5 are not enough, there is more. If you forward to verse 11, uh, If you go to verse 11, you're going to see, then many false prophets, false teachers, false preachers will rise and deceive many. 
false Christ, false teachers will deceive many. Now let's go to verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Four times Jesus warns about deception. He, four times he says deception will be rampant. The enemy will use false falsity, a false Christ, a false gospel, false prophets, false preachers, and even miracles to deceive the world. And the deception will be so powerful that if possible, it would fool even the elect. We see in Christianity people concerned about the Antichrist. Antichrist. We, when we usually think about the Antichrist, we think about somebody that's against Christianity. And that's true. The enemy hates us all. He's, he's against Christianity. But the Greek term anti also means in place of, not just in opposition of, but in place of a replacement. So Antichrist also means in the place of Christ, the one that takes the place of Christ. And as we know from the Bible, since the beginning, Satan wanted to take Christ's place, wanted to take God's place, receiving or worship. Granted, in many places, Christians are persecuted. But long, long ago, he discovered that uh, he is more su successful if he fools the believers with his counterfeit. He is happy to see people coming to the church. As long as they are distracted and do not look to the true Jesus. As long as they keep following his catfish. And according to the Bible, in the word of in the words of Jesus, almost everybody will fall for it. If almost everybody I see people falling for, his, for the devil's life, for his catfishes, every day, even at the church. And what makes deception so dangerous? What makes deception so dangerous is that by definition, deception, uh, the one that's being deceived, does not know that he's being deceived. I could ask you here today, raise your hand if you've been deceived. Chances are that most people won't. And you know what? That's exactly what a deceived person would say. I'm not being deceived. So how can we avoid being deceived? First, I want to share two keys here with you so we can avoid being deceived. Let's see the first requirement. Let's see what Jesus said. Let's open our Bibles in Mark 12, 30 to 31. Uh, so, how can we be uh, avoid to be deceived? That you guys found it? So let's read. Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love the Lord with 
your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's un un uh, unwrap this. The first thing I want to call your attention here, that he calls us to uh, love the Lord with all our minds. There is a clear requirement to use our minds in our abilities. God expects you as far as you are intellectually capable of. Uh, and each one of us has different mental and capabilities, and the Lord knows that. Uh, but, but God expects us to use it. He expects us to apply studying his word, to know him more. Uh, he says that we have to love him above all things. And how can we love God if we don't know him? We have to use our mind to, through scripture, to discover what is revealed of him in there. And why is that that so many of us, instead of seeking to learn from the truth from our daily reading of the Bible, from reading more and more scripture, uh, we spend countless hours watching videos about this conspiracy, that conspiracy, that, that thing, that other thing, like instead of focusing on Jesus. And Jesus himself told us that if we don't know him personally, if we don't apply him, if we don't apply ourselves to know him personally, daily, constantly, if we don't grow daily with him, we will be deceived. God expects us to have a high level of intellectual engagement with him and his revelation about himself. That's his scripture. Especially with the things that prophecy foretold ahead of time. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24. We just read it. For false messiah and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect will, be, will, want, will not be deceived, but how? Let's see verse 25, that the next verse that we didn't read yet. See, I have told you beforehand. Jesus said that he told us ahead through scripture. Everything we need to know, everything we have to have on our heads to, in order to uh, survive. So we don't need to seek for alternative truths for like those hidden knowledge that this preacher or that preacher or that person or that video or that YouTube channel have. We don't need any of that. Jesus reveals uh, himself. And uh, he tells us everything we need to know about the last day events in the scripture. We don't need to know what Satan then can end game plan is, like how he's going to do this, how he's going to implement the mark of the beast, how he's going to, all those crazy things that doesn't add up for a spiritual nourishment. What we need to know, scripture already says. We need to, the scripture already says that the end time, 
problems will be about uh, worship. And uh, we're going to have a counterfeit gospel, counterfeit miracles, a counterfeit Holy Spirit, a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit God, a counterfeit Trinity. That the book of Revelation is very clear. But I want you to invite to open Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5, because there, there is one thing that we need to know that perhaps we don't, because we waste so much time with other things. We don't keep that on our minds. Let's read Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. And I'm trying to uh, allow the Bible to speak here. So, and Jesus is saying, Then I look and behold, a lamb standing on the mount of Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father name written on their foreheads. What that means? Do I have to tattoo Jesus or do I have to tattoo here God or Jehovah or something of the likes? No. God has to be on my mind. He's the one to be directing my, my, uh, my thinking, my frontal lobe, my rationality. And uh, he, keep, he keeps going and he says, I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpies playing their harps and they sang it uh, were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures. And he keeps going until verse 4 and he says like, there are, uh, and th those are the ones who were not defiled with women, talking about the 144,000. Those are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. So, notice that they follow the Lamb wherever the, the Lamb goes. And we should start that here too. If we expect to follow the Lamb in heaven and throughout eternity, wherever he, Jesus goes, we have to start that following here and now. Like, and we only can follow God if we follow this book, if we follow scripture. Uh, the more I know about him, the more I learn about him on the scripture, the more I love him. But what else we need? I said two things. Let's look now in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 10. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 to 10. So, here Paul is remembering. He's reminding the Thessalonians everything else he already had told them. Uh, he had told them everything about God. He warned them about the lawlessness that would come, the men of sin and all that. But his focus now was not head knowledge because they knew those things already. Uh, they knew that they should go and study more. What's his focus? Let's read verse 9 and 10. The coming of the lawlessness one is according to the workings of Satan. Without power, signs and lying wonders 
and without unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Did you get what the issue here is? The issue is that Paul was addressing here. It's not the issue uh, if the church had the truth, because the church had it, they knew scripture. The issue here is uh, if they love truth more than anything else. And what's the truth he's talking about? He's talking mainly about two things. Let's let the Bible interpret itself. He's saying that we have to love truth above, above anything else. But let's read first John 17, 17. That's Jesus saying on his last recorded prayer in scripture before the crucifixion. He says, asking God, sanctify them. And by then he means not only the disciples, but you and me. Sanctify them by your truth. And your word is your truth. And that's God's word, the Bible. Uh, one, that's one of the definitions of, of that Jesus says what truth is. Uh, the truth is the word of God. We have to spend time with God and his word. And we have to love it. Sometimes the Bible is not fun. There's pieces of the Bible that I love. Some of the Psalms, some of the stories that are cool. But there's parts that are so boring. And I have to ask and pray God for having love for Scripture. I need to love it more than anything else. If I do not love God's Word, I cannot love God because I cannot know God without a clear relationship with the Scripture. If I don't spend joyful time with the Lord in meditation of His revelation, in meditation of the Scripture, uh, my love for Him will not grow. But what's the other definition? The other definition comes from John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6 says, and that's a famous one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He is the ultimate truth. Why? Because although this book talks about him, the Bible doesn't save anybody. Only Jesus can save us. But because the Bible introduces me to him, that's why we have to love the Bible as well. Because the Bible is the way God can, one of the ways God can speak to us in addition to His Holy Spirit, of course. But uh, as I get acquainted with Scripture, I will love Jesus more. And uh, why? Because I love what I consume. I love what I behold. Paul says elsewhere that we are transformed by what we, we behold. If I love the Bible and I eat it every day, I will love God each day more. But how do I spend my time? What I'm, am I watching and reading? Jesus said once in the book of uh, John, uh, chapter 5, verse 39, you search scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. 
and those are they which testify of me. We got the scriptures because we love God. We got to read it because we love God. We want to learn more about him. The problem is that we love other things and perhaps even ourselves more than we love God, more than we love Jesus. And Jesus said that you have to uh, love me more than yourself and more than anything else. Just remembering the great commandment that we just read. He says that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. But before he said that, he says that we have to love him above everything else, above all things. Only when we love God first above all things, above ourselves and above others, then we're going to be uh, immune to that catfishing of the devil. Do you love politics more than you love Jesus? Do you love TV or movies more than you love Jesus? Do you have, do you love like uh, your family or your family vacation or even your family, your son or dad or your husband more than you love Jesus? Uh, those are all good things. Those are all good things to love, but we have to keep our priorities straight. As I kept saying here over and over, we are in a war. We live in a war field. And uh, do you want to know in which side of that war you are? Just look to your heart. Who has your thought? Who has your deepest desires and sympathies? If it's Christ, then our thoughts are with Christ. He will be the first thing you remember, the first things you say uh, on the morning will be directed to him. And he'll be the last things you do through, uh, on your day. And he'll permeate your day throughout. In the third part of the greatest commandment, uh, Jesus is paraphrasing Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to, uh, to 6. When we hear, we, we read the, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And those words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And they shall teach them diligently to your children and talk with them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down. And when we rise up. And he keeps going. Your love for God in scripture. Should permeate all your life. When I discovered that. When I really realized that I needed to love God. Truly and that I was living in a catfish relationship with God. I try to fill my mind with things that would make me long for him. I, tr I always try to have scripture running uh, on my earbuds when I'm driving or when I'm doing chores at home, uh, when I'm doing idle things. I always hearing scripture. 
because I want to hear his voice. I want to hear more about him. And I want to grow in my love and fondness for him. I try to uh, talk with him often. I, unless I'm awake up in the middle of the night by a phone call, the very first thing I do is to pray and to try to have that connection with him. I try to walk with him from the beginning of the day and I try to keep on that walking. And uh, you know what? When I don't do it, I feel bad. It's as bad as or even worse than like if I spend a day without like uh, telling my wife that I love her, giving her a kiss. I have to do the same for Jesus. And I have to keep in communication with him. And uh, when you love Jesus, you're going to want to spend time with him. He will be the theme of your life and will be the subject of your conversations. We need to love him more than we love a good film or a good TV show. We have to love him more than our dream vacation or Hawaii or Disney or whatever your dream vacation is. All those things are good and sometimes necessary. But uh, it's nothing wrong to try to get a few days break and go to a place where you can relax. But uh, those are not the things that should occupy your mind. The point is that we need to love Jesus and the truth and his scripture, his revelation more than anything else in our life. If we do not love Jesus, Paul says, you'll be deceived. It's not enough to know him. Just have knowledge is not enough. We have to love him as well more than anything else. Let's read 2 Thessalonians 9 and 10 again because there's something else that I should have emphasized and I did not. Uh, let's read again 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 10. The coming of the lawlessness one, I mean, the coming of the lawless one, is according to the works of Satan, with all power, signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of truth, that they might be saved. Why am I emphasizing that verb, receive? What that means? Paul is saying here that the kind of love we need for God, for scripture, we cannot get by ourselves. We cannot manufacture. We have to receive. We have to receive. Receive, and we receive from who? We receive from God. Uh, Matthew, uh, give us the the key of how to receive that love. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and you'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and you'll, open. you'll be open to you. And James tells us that the reason why we don't have uh, that love is because we don't ask. Jesus said in Luke 11 that the Father is more than willing to give you that type of love 
more than a good father wants to provide the bare essentials to their kids. He's willing to provide that love. He's willing to provide you with the Holy Spirit, the true one. The only thing that you need to do is ask daily. Uh, he wants to give you, but he, he needs you to ask so you can give him the authority to change you from the inside. You need to have, you need to open the door of your heart so you can receive it and you keep and you keep praying that prayer every day. Keep at it. Ask him in every occasion. God, help me to love you. Help me to love scripture. and Help me to demonstrate your love throughout my life. And remember what John, 1 John 4, verse 19 says. 1 John 4, verse 19 says. We love him. We love Jesus. Because he loves us first. We only love him because of his love for us. That's why we have to ask. So he can give us that love. He does not want to intrude and don't want to do anything that you don't really want to do. So ask. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For if I, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was not interested to know anything new, any fanciness. He only wanted to know about Jesus. And he would especially want to know about the crucified Jesus. Why? Because the love of God is more clear, exemplified at the cross. We need to spend daily time with meditation in the Holy Scripture, hearing what God has to say. But we have to spend at least a few moments, at least an hour, when my favorite author says, in meditation of Jesus' life, especially his last moments, especially the cross and the events surrounding it, so our love for him can blossom. The whole Bible testifies about him. Let's study. Let's ask for that love. Let's ask for that true relationship so we won't be fooled. Don't think that you can have assurance of salvation uh, if you're thinking about movies or TV or anything else more than you think in Jesus. Only when Jesus is the first one and the last one in your day, only when he is the love of your life, that you can have peace and assurance of salvation. It's easy. You don't need to do anything. Just pray. Ask. And he will give that love to you. Uh, and he will give you that love. As you spend more and more time with him in scriptures. Seek your heart. Be like David. That said on his psalms. Uh, like. He said like. Uh, Search. Uh, oh God. Uh, search my heart and show me if there is any fault on, on it and me. Truly, ask God for his presence. Uh, ask God to have that heart that's like a palpitating to meet with him again and again and again throughout the day in prayer, in minutes of studying the Bible. 
create those breaks throughout the day and you're gonna fall in love with him more and more but keep praying we should ask ourselves those questions to god god please show me show my heart tell me and change my heart to a heart that loves you i want to finish today by praying a simple prayer i want to ask uh, god to grant you the love for him the love for jesus and the love for truth the love for scripture so you can spend more time with him today so you can spend more time with him every day and try to emulate him in everything you do god has provided uh, a way through his unlimited atonement to our salvation we just need to accept him and to accept it we need to love him we need to be with him we need to ask for his presence let's pray dear father in heaven thank you so much for jesus because he points us to god he points us to the father he points us to the holy spirit and he helps us to uh grow and to be immune from the catfishes of the devil dear lord bless us as we bow down to you today and give us a new heart a heart that loves you above anything else we all feel attracted for different things movies books vacations family tv whatever what have you but help us to be attracted to you and to love you more than anything else give us that love help us to long for our quiet times with you on the morning and at the evening before we go to sleep help us to long for those little oases that we will create during the day to stop for a few minutes just to pray just to read a verse of the bible just to keep you fresh on our hearts help us to spend more time in scripture reading more learning more about you hearing your voice talking directly to our hearts and help us to spend more time meditating about the life of Christ through scripture help us to talk with you as a friend help us to praise your name and help us to have that love that will uh that will inoculate us that will protect us to be fooled by the enemy because we're going to know truth we're going to know you so much that nothing else can uh get us astray dear lord bless each one of us each one of us here that are meeting through zoom through facebook through youtube meet those bless those that will watch those recordings later on the future and bless even those that are like working for the other side that even try to disrupt our meeting today help them to uh, discover you as well and to have that love for you above, above all things dear lord we open our hearts to you we give authority to you to enter and to change us to uh, operate and 
and remove our old heart and put a new one that loves you above all things and help us to persevere on that prayer day after day so we can grow on that love that's what we pray in jesus name amen you have been listening to the broadcast from the midland seventh-day adventist church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.